1527 was a trying year for Martin Luther, the German pastor and theologian. Uh, one night, when a friend was coming over for dinner with him and his family, uh, Luther became so ill that he fell over and suddenly grew cold and rigid, and he and his friends and family thought that he was going to die. Uh, he eventually recovered, but then was overcome by a, a deep depression in his soul. Then on top of that, in August of that year, the plague came to Wittenberg, Germany, where Luther lived and was a pastor. And somehow, in the midst of that suffering, Luther was able to hold on by God's grace to the promises of His Word. And he found comfort in the Word of God. And he found comfort in one psalm in particular. And that's our psalm for this morning that we're looking at. That's Psalm 46. And that year, reflecting on the trials of his life, both his physical illness, his depression, and in the sickness of his people, he wrote one of the greatest hymns a church has ever known, a hymn called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. In the first verse of that hymn, this is based on Psalm 46, says this, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark, which is a defensive wall, never failing. Our helper, he amid the floods of mortal ills prevailing. As God's people right now and as a nation and even as a world, we are experiencing mortal ill. This virus, COVID-19, is something that can destroy us. And it looks as if at times it is prevailing. But this psalm tells us that there is a place we can go in such times. There's a defensive wall that we can stand behind that will not be broken down. And so this psalm, Psalm 46, is, is for you and I today, just like it was for Luther in 1527, uh, just like it was for the, the sons of Korah who wrote the psalm for the people of Israel, and just like it was for the people of Israel who sang this psalm in worship. This passage gives us a guide for such times. It tells us what to do when we face these kinds of trials. And God's Word here is calling us to do something very simple but essential for us as God's people. He's calling us to behold Him as our victorious and ever-present refuge. And so as we walk through this psalm this morning in the next few minutes, um, we'll, we'll see three things about God that are meant to bring us comfort in our trials. First, we see that God is our refuge. Secondly, we see that God is ever-present. His presence is with us. And then third, we see that God is victorious. And so let's read Psalm 46 and pray as we walk through this together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam. Though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob 
is our fortress. Father, we praise you for your word. We ask now that your Holy Spirit would give us the eyes to see and understand the truth of who you are for us here. We pray that we would then behold you as our victorious and ever-present refuge. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we see as we walk through this psalm is that God is our refuge. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. And to say that is to say that in Him, you and I are protected and safe. Our souls are hidden from harm. Um, In the building where we are now recording this video, uh, in the basement there's a fallout shelter. Fallout shelters became popular in in the Cold War and they were meant to withstand a nuclear blast, right? They're built with thick and impenetrable walls. It's a refuge of protection from things that can destroy you from the outside. It's an illustration of what God is for us here. The psalmist is saying that's who God is. He's a refuge for you. Then he goes on in verse 2. He says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And what the psalmist is doing here is is using poetic imagery to show us that God is our refuge in all kinds of different situations, right? In, In storms and mountains are moving and the world is shaking and the waters are roaring against us, right? See, the world that we're in now is shaky ground. It's it's unstable. And if we find our refuge in the things of this earth, we will be sorely disappointed because eventually everything gives way. And friends, that's what this virus is teaching us, isn't it? COVID-19 is revealing to us that things can change in an instant. The economy can crash in an instant. That job can disappear in an instant. Your health could deteriorate, deteriorate in an instant. Even our very lives could end in an instant. And all of the the innovation and intelligence and wisdom of mankind can't stand up against the shaky ground of this broken world. The question for you and I is, where do we go when we're confronted with this? Where do we look to for our refuge? Where do we go when the earth as we know it is, is giving way? And the answer from Psalm 46 is to take refuge in God. Go to God with your anxieties and fears and sorrows. The Bible never tells us that it's wrong to experience those feelings. It's right to feel fear in these moments. It's it's right to be initially anxious. As humans, we experience the sorrow of suffering. But the question is, where do we then take those feelings? Where do we take those fears, those emotions, and those anxieties? Take refuge in God. Place your trust in Him. Now, it's easy to say, hey, take refuge in God when things aren't going well. But you might have the question, okay, well, how do I practically do that? What what does that actually mean to take refuge in God? It's It's very simple. It means to place your trust in Him. And practically, as we receive the refuge of God by trusting in Him, we then cultivate that faith in our refuge through the word and prayer, right? God in his providence in this time has has us at home. He's slowed us down. We have more time to pray, more time to, to read and study the scriptures. And friends, this is how we cultivate that faith so that we can continually take refuge in him. Like the psalmist, we cry out to God in prayer. 
then we find in His Word, as we read the pages of Scripture, we find that there are saints who have wrestled with the exact same things that we're wrestling with now, all throughout the Bible. And we find in the Scriptures a compassionate God willing to hear our fears, willing to hear our anxieties as we unload them to Him in prayer and give us His comfort. Take refuge in God by faith and then cultivate that faith through the Word and prayer. And notice the result of this in verse 2. It says, Therefore, because God is our refuge, we will not fear. While it's, it's good to be aware, the removal of our fears is not going to come from us anxiously searching news headlines all day. While it's good to be prepared, the removal of our fears is not going to come from, from stocking up on all the goods and supplies we need. While it's good to, to rest and enjoy God's gift of entertainment, the removal of our fears is not going to come from hours of Netflix during isolation. All of those things are poor substitutes for an ultimate refuge. They will, they will not ultimately dispel our anxieties and fears. But God says, take refuge in me. I am the one who loves you. And as the Apostle John says, perfect love casts out fear. But if you're like me, it's, it's difficult to take refuge in God, right? I found myself this week doing just that, anxiously scanning news headlines and trying to search for, for good news in different places, right? So why is it so difficult for us to, to take refuge in God? I, th I think it's because to seek refuge means that we have to acknowledge our own weakness. We have to admit that we are not sufficient to handle our own troubles, and the heroes of our culture tend to be those who are strong and who don't cower in the face of danger. But friends, if that's you, if you feel weak, if you feel like you're cowering in the face of danger, you're in good company because at the heart of the Christian gospel is the recognition of our weakness. The Apostle Paul wrestled with this. He, he had a suffering. We don't know what it is. He called it a thorn in his side. And he prayed many times for God to remove this particular suffering. But it wasn't removed. But Paul knew that God was teaching him a, a valuable lesson, an essential uh, lesson in this process. And listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10, and apply this to where we are now. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Notice he doesn't say, if I am weak, then I'll get through this weakness, and then I'll leave weakness and become strong. No, he says, when I am weak, then I'm strong because I know that my only strength, my only refuge is in Christ alone. In other words, the one prerequisite for you and I taking refuge in Christ is the full recognition of our weakness, is to acknowledge that we are not sufficient in and of ourselves to handle these things. Only then will we see that God's grace is sufficient for us in our weakness. And only then will we then run to Him as our refuge and strength and find 
our fears relieved. So God is our refuge. Then as we move along through this psalm, we see also, number two, that God is ever-present. Now the presence of God is emphasized all throughout this psalm. Verse 1 says God is a very present help. Uh, Verse 4 says the city of God is the holy habitation of the Most High. Verse 5 said God is in the midst of of her. Verse 7 and 11 both repeat the Lord of hosts is with His people. But verse 4 in particular mentions three important places that are related to God's presence. And it's going to help us understand what it means that God is ever-present with His people. He mentions a river, a temple, and a city. And so let's look at those for for a moment. First, uh, let's talk about the city. This city of God that's mentioned is Jerusalem. Jerusalem means city of peace. If you you were to look a, a couple chapters later in Psalm 48, you'd see an entire song of God's people celebrating the city where God's people would come to worship Him. Psalm 48, 8 tells us that this city will be established forever, the city of peace. Now, why is the city so important? Well, because in that city is, verse 4, this holy habitation. Now, what's the holy habitation? Well, that's the, the temple. That's the dwelling place of God among His covenant people, Israel. That's where they would go to experience the presence of God. Then verse 4 also tells us about a river flowing from the city of God. Now, this is interesting because Jerusalem actually didn't have a river. There was a city, of course. There was walls. There was a temple building. But there was no actual actual physical river. So what is the psalm talking about here? Well, Well, as we read the rest of Scripture and as we come to the New Testament and read Psalm 46 in light of the New Testament, we see that what's happening here is this foreshadowing of the continual presence of God with His people promised through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the temple and Jerusalem were both taken and destroyed, twice actually. They didn't last. So the habitation of verse 4, the dwelling place, the presence of God, finds its ultimate fulfillment in the true and greater temple, Jesus Christ. Jesus teaches on this in John chapter 2, verse 19. He says, says, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus says, I am the dwelling place of God. I am where you come to find the presence of God. Then if we look forward even to a coming day that is yet to take place when Jesus will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. We read of the absence of this temple. Revelation 21 verse 22 says, I saw no temple in the city. Well, why not? For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty in the Lamb. Jesus is where we find the presence of God. Now, what what about the river? Well, Jesus talks about a, a river as, as well. He talks about flowing streams. And if you've been walking with us through John, maybe you remember Pastor Clint preaching this passage. But listen to Jesus' words in John 7, verse 38. It says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. See, Jesus tells us that when you believe in Him, 
you receive the Spirit and it flows out of your heart. The presence of God overflows out of you like rivers of living water. And then again, if we look to the future day when Christ will return, we see this promise of water of life in the new Jerusalem. Revelation 22.1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of, wa- of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. Now, now that's, a, that's a lot of uh, Bible passages in a short amount of time, but, but what are we learning here? See, we're, we're learning what God's people Israel learned. We can't put our trust in earthly things. Jerusalem, as they knew it, eventually was taken and crumbled. The, the temple was eventually taken and destroyed. And for us, the world as we know it will be pulled out from under us as it is now. But in all of this, friends, this is the promise. In all of this, there is an eternal river of God's refreshing and comforting presence offered to you and I in the person and work of Jesus Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And when we believe the gospel, we receive God's presence in such a way that it can never be taken away. And here's the result. Verse 4 and 5 tells us what this brings to us, this presence of God. It brings gladness. There's a river whose streams make glad. Even in the midst of the shaky ground, even in the midst of this trial, there's gladness. We don't only receive the Lord's strength to endure in trials, we also receive the abundant presence of God to take joy and be glad in the midst of them. But more than that, verse 5 also tells us that this presence of God brings stability, both gladness and stability. It says God is in the midst of her. God is in the midst of His people. Therefore, she shall not be moved. We will not be shaken. Now, this doesn't mean that bad things won't happen in this life. This doesn't mean that God's never going to let anything physically negative happen to us. The Bible never makes that promise. But what the Bible does give us is something far better. Though the worst may happen to you and I, nothing can take away what matters most. Nothing can take away the the fear-killing, joy-filled, eternal presence of God for those who are in Christ. And the psalmist says that truth should make you glad. And friends, that truth should make us glad today, even in the midst of it. We're We're not glad about what's happening We're glad because of all that's happening, nothing can take away what matters most, the presence of God. So God is our refuge. God is ever-present with us. And then third, we see that God is victorious. Look at verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. And the very next phrase contrasts that with God. He utters His voice. The earth melts. Look at verse 8. He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. In other words, all of the chaos of this world is no match for the word of our God. And this points us to an even greater victory. The greatest victory of God is the victory of Christ over Satan's sin and death. Now, while it may seem right now like our greatest enemy is COVID-19, is a virus. The reality is that it's not. Though it's serious, it's not our greatest problem. 
Our greatest problem is not physical sickness and death, but spiritual sickness and death. And God's Word tells us that our greatest problem has been taken care of by Christ. The greatest victory has been accomplished by Him. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. And here's the victory. Listen, verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. God defeated Satan's sin and death through Christ by His life, living the life we could never live, by dying the death that you and I deserve to die, by raising from the dead and ascending into heaven where He currently sits on the throne. And He did that so you and I can take refuge in Him by faith and experience the glad presence of God in ultimate victory over all of our trials. But friends, there's even more good news. This victory of Christ is not just personal. It's not just me and my salvation with God. It's also cosmic. There's coming a day when Christ will make all things new. And friends, this hope, this future hope, is meant to help us endure now. Listen to this promise in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. What a promise to look forward to. There's coming a day when we who believe will, will no longer need a refuge because our victorious Christ will do away with all the sickness, sin, and pain and suffering that we currently need refuge from. And His church will fully enjoy His presence. It's as Martin Luther says in the third verse of his hymn. He says, The body they may kill, those mortal ills, they may kill the body, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So God is our refuge. God is ever-present. And God is victorious. Now, friends, how, how are we to respond to all of this? And the psalm ends in verses 8 through 10 by giving us some practical responses. It gives us two commands. First, the psalmist tells us to behold. Come behold the works of the Lord. To behold is to look and see, not just with physical eyes, but with spiritual eyes, to actually understand and, and perceive. And if you're watching this and you're not a Christian, friend, for you, that means to behold the work of Christ on your behalf for the first time. That means to stop looking to, for refuge in all the, the fleeting things of earth and seek refuge in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. And friend, when you do that, when you repent, which means to turn, and believe in Christ, you'll experience the glad presence of God even in the midst of trials. 
For those of us who are followers of, of Jesus, we're called to behold Him as well. We're called to, to behold Him anew, to look afresh on who Christ is for us, to remind ourselves time and time again that He is our victorious and ever-present refuge. So we're to behold Him. But then verse 10 tells us we're also to be still. Be still and know that I am God. You could translate that, cease striving and know God. Now through this crisis, God has, in His providence, He's stopped our normal frantic pace of life, hasn't He? He's, he's locked us up in our homes. And let me encourage you to take that time to be still before God. Ignore the temptation to fill every waking moment with something to do in an attempt to cover up your anxieties. Carve out time for prayer each day. Study His Word. Meditate on Scripture in silence and still your anxious heart before God. And listen to how the psalmist ends Psalm 46. We also can know as we're still before Him, as we're beholding Him, we can know that God's good purposes will be accomplished. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. In other words, nothing, nothing will thwart the sovereign plan of God for the glory of His name and for the good of His people. While it looks like chaos to us, listen church, Jesus right now is upholding the universe by the word of His power. While it looks like things are crumbling around us, Jesus promises to work all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So let's together take refuge in Him, our victorious and ever-present God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the promises of Your Word. We thank You that as we open the pages of Scripture, we're reminded that we are not alone, that the saints of old have, have suffered as we have, have experienced the same wrestlings that we're wrestling with now. And so we pray, God, that we would behold You, and we pray, God, that we would be still before You and that we would know that Your sovereign purposes will not fade away. It will be accomplished. And God, we pray that together, as God's people, we will take refuge in You, our victorious and ever-present God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.